Well, this morning we're going to start a, a new series, as Mark said, a two-part series entitled The Sovereignty of God. And uh, this week's message is called God's Sovereignty, Our Security. God's Sovereignty, Our Security. I want to start by asking a question. Who controls the world? Who is in control of the world? You know, Christians give different answers to that question. In fact, I'm going to actually quote from five different speakers. I'm not going to name them because that's not what it's about this morning. But I'm going to quote them because they're very, very popular speakers. You would know, probably most of you would know them all. They all have TV ministries, so they influence a lot of people about the way they think when you ask that question, who controls the world? Now, some people would reply, Satan is in control of this planet. And they say that on the basis of the fact that God gave this world to Adam, and in the fall, Adam gave it to Satan. And so, as Paul says, he is now the God of this world. Or as Jesus said, he's the prince of this world, or the ruler of this world. In fact, to quote one speaker, he said, after the fall, quote, suddenly God was on the outside looking in without any legal right of entrance into the earth. And when God said in Job chapter 1 to, to Satan, where have you been? This preacher said, Satan didn't have to ask him, uh, answer him, sorry. Satan didn't have to answer him because it was none of God's business. God wasn't running the world anymore, Satan was. So that's one view. Now, of course, I would respond by saying, first of all, God never gave this world to us. He made us stewards of this world. He gave us the privilege of managing planet Earth on his behalf. It's his world. He created it. Amen? It's always going to be his world. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell Therein. Incidentally, in Job chapter 1, God did call Satan to account. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Satan had to answer him. And then when he spoke about Job and Satan wanted to test him to prove whether his faith was genuine, he had to ask permission from God. And God set a limit on what he could do. We find that also with Peter. Remember when Peter was tempted. Jesus said, Satan has desired to have you. You look at the Greek, it means to gain by asking permission. And again, God set a limit on what he could do. Now secondly, there are, there are those that, say, that, that would say that man controls what happens in the world. Of course, mankind has rejected God and became God in his place, they think. In fact, the, the lie or the temptation, I should say, the temptation was never to have what God has. Because God always shared that abundantly. God always shares what he gave. He shared this whole planet with us. Everything is given to us freely to enjoy. So man never coveted what God had, but he coveted who God is. And that was the temptation. You don't need God. You can be God on this earth. Amen? In fact, Paul doesn't call that a lie, he calls it the lie. The lie that man has believed and swallowed. 
And, and of course, you know, we live, you know, mankind lives as if he, he's going to live forever, if he, he can do whatever he wants and do whatever he pleases. It's probably brought out best in this uh, parable that Jesus told. He spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain man, rich man, yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Now look at how many times he uses the term, I will. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? See, man can say he's God, he can live like God, but he's not God. In fact, the scripture makes it clear, as we see here, for example, God is the great I am. And whenever a little I am comes up against the great I am, the little I am becomes an I was. (laughs) Now, of course, I'm talking about unbelievers, those who want to shut God out of their lives, but When you look at some of the claims that Christians make, they're even more outrageous. Let me quote to you. One very well-known speaker said that man was created on terms of equality with God. And he could stand in God's presence without any consciousness of inferiority. He made us the same class of being that he is himself. He lived on terms equal with God. That's quite amazing. Another speaker said, God's reason for creating Adam was his desire to reproduce himself. He was not a little bit like God or almost like God. He was not even subordinate to God. That's quite outrageous, friends. These speakers go on to develop a theme which is called little gods. We are little gods. My response to that is, if you are a little God, then at least create a little universe. (laughs) Then we can take you serious. Amen? You know, I know we are partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't make us equal with God. Amen? The theologians make a differentiation between what we call the moral attributes of God and the exclusive attributes of God. The moral attributes of God are those things like his righteousness, his truthfulness, his love, his goodness, his patience. And these are the things that were produced in us when God created us. And and when we're born again, that's what Jesus by the Holy Spirit comes to reproduce in us. Amen? The image of God. The moral image of God. But the exclusive attributes of God are things like his omnipotence. His omniscience, his omnipresence, his self-existence. I could go on. You know what I'm saying? We will never be God in that sense. We are his creatures. He is the creator. And then there's a third alternative which gets very interesting, and many people live under this theology, which is that it's God's laws that govern this world. You see, God has created laws, and he can't act 
himself outside of the laws that he's created. So if you can discover the laws that God has created, you can manipulate life, you can even manipulate God to your advantage. That's the teaching. You say, what are these laws? Well, one of them is positive thinking. Okay? Uh, based on this scripture, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You're a product of your thought life. So if you think positively, then you'll have a positive outcome. Uh, that's one law. Another law is the law of faith. The teaching goes that God has done everything. He cannot do anything more. Now it's up to us and the exercise of our faith. You know, God is, God is not going to heal anyone unless you have faith to heal them. And if you have faith, you can heal whoever you want to heal because God has set this law in motion and, and it's called the law of faith. Another law is the law of confession. You know, if... Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's taken to the max to say that basically you create your own world by the words that you speak. You probably heard that one before. If you say, I'm broke, you'll probably be broke. If you say, I'm sick, well, you'll be sick. And so on. It's, you create your world by your words. Another law is the law of prayer. I'm quoting now from one of these speakers. We determine what happens on earth, who is saved, and we even shape God's policy by prayer. Continuing to quote, prayer is man giving God authority or license to interfere in the affairs of man. In fact, God cannot do anything on earth without humans' permission. Friends, these are popular preachers that influence millions of people. And I'm, I say, I'm not in, into naming, it doesn't matter, that's not the point. One preacher said this, um, in a supposed two-way conversation that he had with God, he was praying for his mother to be healed, and his mother was praying that God would take her home. And so this preacher said that God said to him, You've got me over a barrel here. You and your mother are going to have to come to an agreement because I've got to obey somebody in this situation. Friends, this is all well documented. I'm not making this stuff up. I'm quoting to you. Another preacher said this. When, no, he asked the question, why does God say in Psalm 2, why does God say, ask of me? He replies, because he can't do it on his own. He can't get what he wants on his own because he's placed you in authority on this earth. See, these are the laws of God. Many people believe that that's what governs life on planet earth. As a man, that, that is probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. It's not saying that you are a product of your thought life. Read it in the, in the context. Verse 6 says, Do not eat the bread of a miser nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. <laughs> that was a different... See, context is king, always. Amen? You go to someone's house, they don't really want to share their things with you. They might say, eat, you know, have as much as you want. But in their heart, they're not really believing that. As he thinks in his heart, that's what he really is. 
That's what that's saying. That's all it's saying. It's not saying you, you produce your world by your thought life. That's actually Christian scientism. That's what that is. Christian scientists believe mind over matter. I heard a story once of a, a lady who went to one of the, the meetings of the Christian scientists and, and she was asked, how's your husband? And she said, he's sick. And they rebuked her. They said, he's not sick. He just thinks he's sick. So the next week she came back and they said, how's your husband this week? Did I say father or husband? Anyway, how's your husband this week? And she said, oh, he thinks he's dead now. Friends, even the law of faith, even Jesus could not heal anyone he wanted to heal. He went to the pool of Bethesda. It was full of sick people. He healed one man. Why did he heal that one man? You read the Word of God. It tells you. In the same chapter, Jesus said, I can only do those things my Father does. He lived in unity with his Father. He did his Father's will on that alone. Amen? And as, as for confessing, you know, imagine this situation. A family are going out on a day maybe like this, and, and maybe the children, they're going out for a picnic. And, and, and the children say, oh, Daddy, it looks like it's going to rain. And he says, it will not rain. I confess it will be a sunshine day today. But the same day, there's a Christian farmer And his wife says, do you think we'll get some rain? I confess we will have rain today. Oh, God's over a barrel now, isn't he? <laughs> Is that what governs this world? What comes out of your mouth? Uh, no, I, there's a verse there which I, I did not put there, but I'll read it to you if I can find it here in my notes. It's in Lamentations chapter 3, 37 and 38, for those that might be taking notes. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? It is not from the mouth of the Most High. Uh, it, sorry, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? It's what God says, friends, not what I say, not what you say, that determines what's going to happen on planet Earth. Amen? And you know that verse that says, ask of me. And, and, and I will give you, uh, you, you know, you know, you know that, that, that verse in uh, Psalm 2 where, where it says, ask of me and I will give you the, the heathen for your inheritance. You look at that psalm, God was talking to the Son. It's a messianic psalm. He wasn't just giving us a, an open check that we could have anything we ask for. Amen? That's not how prayer works. And so... That brings us to the fourth alternative, which I, I trust is the one that you believe in, and certainly the one that I believe in, and that's this, that God governs what happens on planet Earth. God is in control. See, either he is ruled, or he's ruled, or he rules. Either he rules, or he's ruled over. Amen? If God's will can be thwarted by Satan by me, or by my failure to manipulate the laws that he set in motion, then he's not God. He's standing by, waiting to see what will happen, but he's out of control. Amen? 
Now, that's not what the Scripture says. The Bible says that our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Amen. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all deep places. He is sovereign. That's what we mean. You say, what is sovereign? It means that God is God. He's God. He's in control. He's in control of this nation. He's in control of history. He's in control of your life. Amen? You've heard that saying, and often preachers say it, and I've said it many times. God has a wonderful plan for your life, and He does. He has a purpose for your life. That purpose stretches back into eternity before you were even born. It's called the counsel of His will. Amen? For example, Paul says, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. His will, which is eternal. You know, we're coming into a very interesting phase in, in our lifetime since the, the election of uh, Donald Trump as uh, president-elect. Um, you know, people are starting to speculate now what is going to happen with the superpowers? What is going to happen with America? What is going to happen with Russia? What is China going to do? Is there going to be a crisis? Is it going to lead to a third world war? Friends, I, I want to tell you this. It's all in God's control. Amen? No doubt you'll get all the emails where those Christians that seem to have the jump on the rest of us know exactly what's going to happen. They're going to predict what's going to happen. They're going to tell you what's going to happen. They'll refer you to this website. and Forget it, friends. Don't go there. Don't play those games. God is in control. That's all you need to know. God is in control of planet Earth. He decides the course of the nation. You, look, you go back into, into the Word of God and you look at the great superpowers of the past. Babylon. God lifted them up. God put them down. Persia. God lifted them up. God put them down. Greece, the same. Rome, the same. God is in control of this nation and God is in control of the world. Praise God. You know, even the Old Testament kings understood that. O oh Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Hallelujah. That's our God, friends. That's our God and that's our security. You know, there's nothing more humbling to a human being to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. That our lives actually are not in control of our own hands and our own, and our own power, but God is in control. That's a beautiful thing. And yet it's not just the unsaved that want to resist that, but, but there are many Christians. I, I could not believe, I, once I was listening to a, a, a Christian preacher, and I, I quite like this preacher, until I heard him say this, he said, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is close to blasphemy. I thought, what? What are you saying? That the doctrine that God is God 
is close to blasphemy. You see, we want to bring it all back to us and these laws that can manipulate God to do what we want him to do. But that's what he was saying. He went on to say this, that when you pray in your prayers, thy will be done. That's a faith killer. That's a faith killer. Well, somebody should have told Jesus that. Because he taught us to pray, thy will be done. In fact, as we just heard when we broke bread together, he prayed that in the garden himself. Not my will, but your will be done. And when you read the word of God, Paul prayed that in his prayers. I can take you to where Paul taught us to pray those things. John said the same thing. James said the same thing. When you pray, your will be done, you're saying, God, you are God. You know best. I know what I would like, but I'm so glad that God hasn't answered all my prayers. I tell you what, I would not be here today if God had answered all my prayers. The things that I wanted, which were, would, be, would have been a tragedy in my life, if God had answered my prayers. But thank God he had his way in my life. His way is the best way and the blessed way. Amen. Praise God. You know, this is what we call role reversal, where we think that God has to obey us. If we pray in a certain way, if we confess something, I've even heard some preachers say, they take one verse, I think it's in the book of Isaiah, concerning the works of my hand, command ye me. They start commanding God. I remember one, hearing one, one, one guy doing that when we were praying. I was praying with him. He said, God, I command you. I just stood away from him at that stage. I thought, <laughs> the earth might be opening up here. I might just get a little bit away from here. It's what we call role reversal. It's what Isaiah said. Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? Or shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? <laughs> you don't know what's best, God. Leave it to me. <laughs> Chapter 10, Isaiah. Shall the axe boast itself against him who chops with it? Or shall the saw exhort itself against him who saws with it? As if a rod could wield itself against those who lift it up, or as if a staff could lift it up as if it were not wood. Friends, when we, when we read the Bible, we need to understand there are two perspectives. There's God's perspective and there's our perspective. Amen? They're both important. One of them is called the sovereignty of God. The other is called the responsibility of man or the, the will of man. And, and, and both of them are important. But if you ask any Jewish person, they will tell you they always read God's word from God's perspective. And anybody that does not read that as the paramount way to understand the word of God, reading it from God's perspective, they will always fall into error. They will always end up with erroneous ways of seeing life, their prayer life, their, their service, their evangelism, their approach to all these things will be 
erroneous. We need to understand the Word of God from God's perspective. David Rich, who's a Christian author, commented on, on the time when the Allied troops landed in Normandy. And there was a news reporter with them, and he interviewed every one of the soldiers and asked for their perspective on this battle. Every one of them said the same. We are doomed. We are doomed. A reporter also went amongst the pilots who flew over Normandy and asked for their perspective on the battle. They said, it's a foregone conclusion. The battle is ours. It's as good as one. Different perspectives. On the ground, up above. We, we are very limited in the way that we see things. We are very limited in our understanding. It's not that we discount our understanding or our part, the role that we have to play, but we need to see God's perspective. He is in control. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's not been ejected from the pilot seat. Thank God for that. Amen. Now, is this just a doctrine that people argue about the sovereignty of God, the free will of man, and so on? No, it's a very practical thing. As I said, this will color the way you see life, the way you live your life, the way you see this world, the way you read and hear the news, your reaction to it. And I want to just share with you as I close very, very, very quickly. Five, maybe ten minutes. As we, as we finish up, four, four things that are the practical outworking of believing in the sovereignty of God. Okay, Number one, we know that nothing can happen to us unless God allows it. Amen? See, the sovereignty of God is not fatalism. Fatalism believes that this world is under the control of an impersonal force. The sovereignty of God believes that your life is in the hand of one who is not only more powerful than any other being, but who loves you intensely. Jesus put it this way, are not two sparrows, two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. It doesn't say apart from your Father's knowledge, apart from your Father's will. I think Jesus went on to say, are you not of much more value than a sparrow? Amen. God loves you so much. He, his plan stretches back to way before time began. He loves you so much that he put his son upon the cross so that he might redeem you and carry you forward to the eternal counsel and purpose that he has for your life. Nothing can happen to you unless God allows it. Amen? You know, Joseph, I'm sure that as he went through all that he went through, when he was kidnapped by his brothers, sold as a slave and so on, he, 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 there must have been a lot of times when he saw life from a, the human perspective only and wondered what on earth was going on. God gave him a dream, remember? 
He was going to be lifted up above his brothers. Now they've got the upper hand. They've sold him as a slave. He'll probably never see his family again. But somewhere down the line, probably when it all came to pass, he began to see heaven's perspective. And he was able to say to his brothers, so now it was not you. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Nothing could happen to me unless God allowed. It wasn't you that sent me here. It was God. Hallelujah. Can you say that? Because that brings us to the next point. To believe in God's sovereignty is to walk by faith. Jesus said, have faith in God. Friends, how can you have faith in a God who is not in control? How can you? Jesus said, have faith in God. Yet some people say, but God is not in control. It's Satan. It's man. It's these laws of God and my our ability to, to work them. No, no, God is in control of your life. Have faith in God. Now, the biggest ch- test or challenge of faith is, is, is when we don't understand what's going on. Amen? Remember, we're ground troops. <laughs> we're not up there looking down. We, we've only got our perspective, and so we don't get it all the time. And that's when it gets challenging. That's when faith is really tested. Amen? God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as heaven, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Hallelujah. Just keep that in mind, that, that perspective. I, I love that illustration. I'm sure you've heard it many times of a, a tapestry. You know, when you see a tapestry and, and you look at it from the reverse side, you think, how ugly is that? Just blotches and bits hanging out and, you know, what a mess. Surely you're not going to put that on the wall. <laughs> but turn it around. You think, wow, that's amazing. That's so beautiful. That's so artistic. It all works together. It all did this incredible order and, and, and purpose there. Amen? Like it is with your life and mine. I'm sure you've looked at some of those pieces hanging down. <laughs> and think, oh, what, what was that about? Where does that fit into the great scheme of things? I mean, there's still some things I don't understand. Like, why did God create mosquitoes? I don't understand, but there's, there's a purpose. Someone will tell me afterwards, I'm sure. You know, in the book of Romans, especially Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul discusses the whole thing of God's purpose for Israel. And and really, he looks at the whole of the history of mankind, the whole of the Bible. And you think about it. In the Old Testament, it seems like God only cares about one nation. Of course, that Abraham starts the nation of Israel, and this is the one that he's interested in all the way through the Old Testament. What about the other nations? Doesn't God care about them? Doesn't God love them? 
And then we see what happens. Messiah comes, and he's rejected. God knew all this. And so Jesus is offered to the world. And it's like now God has set Israel to one side. Like he doesn't care about them. Even forgotten them. Some people believe, in fact, God has finished with Israel. Not true, but that's what they believe because of the perspective they have on the ground. Amen? So they talk about replacement theology. The church has replaced Israel. That's not what Paul says. God has set them to one side and is going out into the nations until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Then God is going to switch his attention back to Israel again. Already we see incredible things, how he's gathered them out of the nations and brought them back to their own land. We know that the purposes of God are are being unfolded. And when Paul explains all that, right at the end he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Friends, that's your story too. And so often we don't see it because we're on the ground or we're looking at the wrong side of the tapestry. But when God hangs it on the wall and we see it in all its beauty, we will say, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Amen. But it's a test of faith when you don't understand. So we question God and God comes back and he says, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I'm good? The danger is that we we think we know better than God. And so we start thinking that God doesn't really love us. He's not really a righteous God. He doesn't really care about us. There's another scripture. I think it's Elihu asked Job, why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words. See, this is a part of the walk of faith. To trust him when you can't trace him. To trust him when it seems like the heavens are as brass. You ask why, no answer. Just trust. Amen? Don't contend with him. Don't think you're better than him, but just submit to his working. You know, God is, God is like a workman working all things together for good. And sometimes he takes just a, 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 just a small instrument, like a little drill or, 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 or a little file to just, you know, make something a little bit different. Other times he takes a hammer. Bang! Bang! <laughs> Amen. He's a workman. And, and, and Habakkuk once asked God, when he looked at his generation that were living so much in sin, and he was preaching, you know, be sure your sin will find you out. The wages of sin is death and so on. But it wasn't happening. He came to God and he said, God, why do you allow this generation to live so blatantly in sin? And God said, it's okay. I've got it all in control. I'm going to use Babylon to come down and take this nation en masse into captivity. And that just blew Habakkuk away. That's like God taking his big hammer, 
saying, how can you take a nation that is even worse than ours to fulfill your purpose? God said, it's okay, I'm going to deal with them later on as well. Just leave it to God, friends. He's God. He's got it in control. He's got it all in control. Number three, whatever he allows you to go through, he will give you grace. He will give you grace. And friends, it's by grace that we grow. It's by grace that we are changed from glory into glory by the Spirit of the Lord. We need the grace of God in our lives. And, and the problem is if, if we had everything we wanted, if we gave our wish list to God and every one of them was ticked off, you know, we wouldn't need God really. We just become so self-sufficient, self-confident, we'd never come to depend upon him. And that's what Paul said, God said to Paul when he wanted him to take something out of his life that wasn't pleasant. God said, no, I give it to you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. The more you have this weakness, the more you will lean upon me and experience my strength and my grace will be sufficient for you. He said, then, Lord, just keep it because I want your grace. And look what God did through Paul by his grace. We need God's grace, friends. And God will give us grace. Every time we're in need, we turn to him and his grace is poured out upon us. And by his grace, we're being conformed into the image of his wonderful son. And number four, just finish up with this. God will make all things work together for good. Amen. He hasn't hang, hung the, the, the tapestry on the wall yet. It's not finished. But you'll see that he is going to weave everything and make it all work together for good in your life. As, as Joseph said to his brothers when he caught up with them at the end, they were so fearful that he was going to execute revenge upon them. But he said, don't worry. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Look what God has done. He's lifted me up to this position where he was virtually the savior of the world through that, that, that um, agricultural program that was feeding the world because God put him there and gave him the wisdom. Didn't seem that way when he was falsely accused and thrown into prison and left there for a couple of years. Didn't seem that way from where he was standing, from where the troops were. But now God had lifted him up. He saw God's perspective and said, yes, all things work together for good. Let me close with just a quotation from Charles Spurgeon. He said, There is no attribute of God more comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe troubles, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their affliction, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children of God ought more earnestly to contend than the dominion of their master over all creation, 
the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands and the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne. God's sovereignty is our security. As we face another year in in a very troubled, uncertain world, we are not moved. We're not shaken. We're not rattled. We don't want your emails. You, You have that anxiety to yourself. You feed others with that. Leave us alone. We know that God is on the throne. He's in control. And he's bringing this world to the climax that he's already purposed for it before the foundation of this world. More than that, he's bringing your life to the glorious conclusion that he had before eternity began. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you this morning that you are sovereign over the nations, over this planet, over our lives, over the church. Lord, we rest in the fact that you are on the throne that you will have your way and that your way is the best way and the blessed way. Lord, when we don't understand, we pray as 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 the disciples prayed of old, Lord, increase our faith. Lord, strengthen our faith to trust you when we cannot understand what's going on. And Lord, we know that you will be glorified in our lives as we keep looking to you by faith. So bless us, Lord. Bless this church. Bless this nation, bless this city, we pray. May we be a bright, shining light where you've placed us because you said the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. We believe that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Praise God.